this morning, before we get to God's Word, if you want to grab your Bible or open your app, you can do that, your Bible app. I have been forgetting to uh, welcome some new members lately, uh, one family in particular. Uh, they actually started attending church about two years ago or so, I think. Yeah, they're nodding. Um, and so we want to uh, officially welcome the Reikley family as, as members. We got Bo sitting there and Mike and Stacy. Uh, we're glad that you're, you're still here and that you've been here for two years, but we just want to officially welcome. Lexi's also here. She's actually in, in nursery with my daughter right now. Uh, but we, like, uh, we welcome all four of them this morning as well. Uh, so grab that Bible and turn to Luke chapter 2. Now, we started this series, I don't know if you can remember this far back, but in July. There was a series on the entire kind of overview of the Bible, and we were going to start, we started in Genesis, and we spent like eight weeks in Genesis, and we, we talked about uh, creation, and we were in the garden uh, when Adam and Eve uh, chose selfishness or sin uh, instead of following and honoring God. Uh, we followed Abraham and Sarah as, as they were expecting and waiting for a child. Uh, we followed uh, Isaac a little bit as he walked up, and he was the offering that Abraham was going to give. We saw uh, Jacob, and we saw Moses, and uh, we saw throughout this series uh, God giving glimpses of, of his healing and his power, right? Uh, uh, his power as uh, the Israelites went through the uh, Red Sea, uh, the, his power as God worked to destroy the walls of Jericho and make them come down by walking and shouting uh, the healing power of God uh, by way of healing Naaman in a dirty, muddy river. And really, God having mercy on people who maybe didn't deserve it, we saw. We saw mercy on Jonah as he ran away from what God desired him to do. We saw mercy on the city of Nineveh who was living in ways contrary to God, and yet they repented and God saved them. We heard messages of hope, perhaps, uh, when we looked at Isaiah just a few weeks ago when God promised a son would be given and that the government would rest upon his shoulders and, and he would be called Wonderful Counselor. And now we hear of a message of hope for the shepherds. So let's read uh, this passage this morning, Luke chapter 2. Starting at verse 1, we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. 
He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those in whom God, his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told uh, them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I don't know how many of you have dogs. I have a dog. His name is Hudson. He is roughly a 10-year-old golden retriever that weighs about 85 pounds. I keep telling myself that, but he looks bigger than that. It's an interesting thing having a dog when, when you want to play with them, you know, you can, you can, well, golden retrievers, they'll just come to you anyway, but you, you come and you reach out their hands and they're like, oh, you know, they really want to be pet. Uh, when people come over to their house, the dog just greets them and, and sits down and, and says, pet me, right? The interesting thing about Hudson, though, is that if I, if I try to point at something else, like, hey, Hudson, go get the ball. What he does is he incorrectly focuses on my hand or incorrectly focuses on me and comes and wags his big tail and just wants to have some fun. He incorrectly places his focus on the hand that's pointing to something rather than the thing that is being pointed to, the object that I want him to go get or go see, even if it's food, like, hey, go to Peyton, he's giving you his food, he'll come over by you instead. I think sometimes, though, Hudson's actions can be a little bit like humans. 
that sometimes we can get our focus on one area, like maybe over here, when in reality there's something great happening over here. We can we put too much focus perhaps on the things that we can't change instead of focusing on the things that we have control over. Or or maybe we we focus on those things which are are frustrating us rather than those things that are right in front of us that would provide us joy. And I think we can kind of do that same thing when we get into Scripture. We can start focusing on specific words or phrases that might maybe not be as important as what they're pointing to. I think one of the areas even in the Christmas story, is we can incorrectly focus on imagining what the environment looked like that Jesus was born. And we do that because we see the word manger three times in this passage. We see it three times, and then we start making kind of grandiose pictures in our mind of what that looks like. The first place that we see manger listed is Luke chapter 2, verse 7. I don't have control of the screen. Could we get us there? Thanks. Uh, it says, and she, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in manger because there was no guest room available to them. The first place we see manger We might get distracted. We see there's no room in the inn, some translations say, or this one was there's no room or no guest room available. And, and so we see that word major and we start maybe picturing what it would look like. In the Jesus Storybook Bible, it was, there was a tumble-down stable they were in. We start thinking perhaps about the oxes and the donkeys that were present. And we even sing about them in some of the songs that we sing during Christmas time. Then we, we add in the picture of, well, the shepherds are coming and they're bringing their sheep. And then there's the wise men that come with their, with their camels. And we develop this nativity picture, this, this maybe grandiose image of what's happening a nativity filled with animals and Mary and Joseph and Jesus in a manger with a halo around him, and shepherds and wise men and camels and sheep, maybe a ram. We see that theme played out in the, the pictures we see about Christmas. We see that theme sometimes played out in the Christmas cards that we give out. But when we go back and we look, the environment and the details that Luke gives us here is pretty simple. We know that they're in Bethlehem. We know that there was no guest room or inn or place for them to stay, and Jesus was laid in a manger. And the wise men actually came probably when he was like two years old. That comes way later, even though we like to insert them. It's a pretty simple picture. 
Scripture doesn't really give a detailed picture of the building they were in. We don't know if it was this open-air, tumble-down stable, or if it was a cave, which is actually what tradition says. Sometimes animals would be kept in caves, and maybe there would be a manger there. Other possible ideas of what the building could actually be like, poor families lived with their animals. They had a one-room house that would have the animals, the manger, and the people all there. More wealthy families maybe had all the animals in their first floor, and they lived in the second floor. Or maybe they had two-room house where they lived on one side and the animals were in the other. No room in the guest room just means there's no room where the people were normally sleeping. Doesn't really give us a good idea. And we can get too focused maybe on the building and what it looked like and what it was. And we ignore that the manger was actually pointing to something and it was used for a purpose. It becomes more clear that the manger was used for a purpose when we look at the story of the shepherds. We can go to that uh, next couple of verses. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. We continue. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The manger is a sign given to the shepherds to know that what they have heard is true. To confirm that they have found the right child. To confirm that what the angel has said and spoke about is actually what has taken place. The angel says, you'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. The shepherds, made aware of the good news, made aware that they have nothing to fear, even though the presence of the angels might have been overwhelming. I think there's a couple things that are happening here as the the angel makes things aware to the shepherds. First, I'd say it's another confirming or confirmational aspect that the Messiah has been born. Up to this point, the only confirmation that has been made known is that an angel visited Mary, that Joseph had a dream, and that Elizabeth said, The Lord is within you, essentially. Only three people know about this. And now there is another confirming witness of the angels coming to the shepherds, declaring what is about to happen, or what has happened, actually. That God has come in the form of a person And they gave them specific directions of how to find that child. As specific as they get is wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. The other thing that's happening here 
that might be happening under the surface that we might just completely miss is the fact that this is a royal announcement. It's a royal announcement because when this first person that was mentioned in verse 1, in the days of Caesar Augustus, when Caesar Augustus was born, there was a pronouncement that went through the Roman land, the Roman Empire, that said there is good news that would provide great joy because the Savior has been born. That sounds pretty similar to the proclamation that was made about Jesus a little bit later. makes us perhaps wonder why would they use the same words that, that would announce Caesar Augustus' birth and Jesus' birth. Well, it's probably because it would usher in the battle or the confrontation of two competing kingdoms. The kingdom of God reigning through Jesus in the Roman Empire, reigning through Caesar Augustus. It's a highly political statement, you can say, that God's birth will have a lingering effect not only on this nation of Rome, but it will also have a lingering effect on the entire world because God, the king of all kingdoms, has been born. Funny thing, though, is Augustus probably never really heard of Jesus. But as time went on, the Roman Empire would come to an understanding. N.T. Wright says it this way, within a century or so, Augustus's successors in Rome had not only heard of Jesus, they were taking steps to obliterate his followers Within just over three centuries, then, the Roman emperor would even become Christian. Jesus' birth, the pronouncement of a new king, a new savior, would have lingering effects that would lead this Roman empire even to Christ, from a place of oppressing them to joining with them. And the shepherds are the one the ones that heard all about it, the first ones, to hear of a baby born in a manger of good news, of great joy, the announcement of the new king that would replace Caesar Augustus on the throne. And they went eagerly. They went eagerly to find out where this place is, and that's where we see the third occurrence of the word manger, Luke 2 Verse 16, so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, no animals, no no other people, no anything else is listed, right? And the baby who was lying in a manger, confirming exactly the way that the angel said it was going to place, uh, take place, God saw too that it would take place that way. And when the shepherds found the manger, they found so much more because they knew what the manger was pointing to. 
They weren't going to get distracted by, by other things because they were looking for one thing, and that was the baby that was going to be in the manger. The manger was just a signpost telling us where to go, what to see, what to look for. And they saw, and they believed it was true. And it seems, though, that they didn't really linger at the manger either. Verse 17, I don't have it on the screen, but when they saw him, they spread the word about what had been told to them about this child and all who were amazed. They didn't seem to just linger at the manger in front of Jesus. They, they went on and they went about and they began speaking to others about what had taken place. And it's interesting that Jesus chose shepherds of all people. Shepherds of all people to be the first to know that there was a new king, to be the ones who would spread the news about Jesus, the new king, the Messiah, the Savior of his birth. Because it was shepherds who were despised. They were, they were not looked well upon. They were considered actually too unreliable to even give testimony in court. And it's with these people, these shepherds, these people looked down upon, these people despised, these people who were not trusted, that God says, here's good news. Spread it around. Tell others what has happened, that in the town of Bethlehem a Savior has been born, that there is a new king. It's through this picture of the manger of Jesus and the shepherds that we truly see the gospel at work. The joy, the good news, the love, the mercy, and the grace of God given to people who were despised and rejected and not trusted. Given to people who perhaps had their own failures. Given to people who, uh, who others probably had opinions about. And it's that same good news, that same grace, that same love, that same mercy and peace, that same salvation that's given to us. No matter what people think of us, no matter of what we think about our own failings, those things that we look back upon our life and we wish we would have lived differently, no matter how many times perhaps we think and say, Lord, I need forgiveness for this, God extends that grace to me. Extends that grace to you. He extends it to all of his creation. The good news. The gospel, it's not just an idea that we have in our head, but it's something that we live out and understand and takes hold of our whole being. That like us, though we love Christmas and we love the, the Christmas story of Jesus' birth, that, that we too wouldn't linger at the manger. 
or in the stable or in the house or in the cave, whatever you picture, that we wouldn't linger there, that we remember that that's just something that points to Jesus and that we would follow in the footsteps of the shepherds, receiving the good news and then spreading it speaking it to others as often as we see people, letting them know, too, the good news of Christ, of salvation, of the King that loves them and seeks to save them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lord, we thank you for the story of the shepherds. We thank you for using the manger to to point them to the Messiah. We pray that you too would use signposts within our lives, in the lives of others, that we would come to know Jesus more and more as Savior, that others too would experience signposts from you. We pray that you would use us as signposts for people, not to glorify ourselves, but that we may glorify and point to Jesus in how we live, in what we do, and in how we love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.